This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So I'm going to give you guys a quick little recap here. We're in this series that we're calling Guardrails. And Guardrails is essentially like boundaries. But we're using this like traffic definition of guardrails to kind of describe some boundaries that we should place in our lives. And so in week one, we sort of established what a guardrail is. We said that guardrails are there to direct and protect us, right? Guardrails are set up in the safe zone to protect us from the unsafe zone. Guardrails are not in the unsafe zone. They're clearly inside the boundaries of what's okay, but what they do is they set up this sort of buffer. So if, the, if we get into a crash, it's better to have a small crash into a guardrail than a catastrophic crash off the side of a mountain, right? I mean, you would agree. And so we said that these, these guardrails in our lives are a personal standard of behavior that become a matter of conscience. A personal standard of behavior where we draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to do that. And then when we get close to that line, our conscience sort of begins to light up inside of us and say, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. You're getting too close to the danger zone. You need to step away, back up, right? Back up a little bit. And so we designated that in the first week. And then in week two, we looked at how this applies to our friends and to our friendship relationships. We said that, you know, friends have an incredible power in our lives. The things that make friendships so beautiful also make them very, very dangerous, because we let our guard down and friends are allowed to speak into our lives like nobody else is. We give them permission to speak in to our lives and we said that your friends will impact and influence the direction and quality of your life. We talked about it, we see it obviously in little kids. We don't want our kids hanging out with certain other kids because we're afraid that they're gonna influence them in a bad way. But when we get adults, that we kind of check that mentality at the door and we don't need to because our friendships are so important. And so we need to establish guardrails in our friend relationships to make sure that we are following the life that God has called us to live. And then in week three, we talked about flee, don't flirt, right? We talked about sexual immorality. And we talked all about that and how uh, in scripture it tells us to flee, not to flirt with the idea. We don't try to get as close as we can and say, where's the line? Where's the boundary? How do I need to do this? No, 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 no. The idea is to not flirt with the idea, but to flee from the idea. And we said that whenever they were talking about this in in the New Testament, they were referencing back to Joseph when he fled Potiphar's house, right? And Potiphar's wife grabbed his jacket and he took off. And we said, even if you got to run away naked, that's how fast you should be running away from sexual immorality, from things like that. You need to be fleeing in the other direction as fast as you possibly can. So we said, flee, don't flirt. Establish some boundaries and some guidelines and some guardrails that protect you to where you're not even getting close. You're not flirting with the idea at all. And then in week four, which was last week, we talked about the consumption assumption, right? We spent back-to-back weeks, we talked about sex, and we talked about money. It was like a total doozy at church. You know, it was wild. So if this is your third week, um, welcome. Glad you stuck it out, you know? But we talked about the consumption assumption, this idea that greed can really be boiled down to this assumption that everything is for our consumption, right? Everything that comes to us is for us, for us to enjoy, for us to to spend, for us to whatever. And we said, listen, there's a guardrail that we need to put in place so that we can keep money in its proper place, right? So that we're not serving money, but that money is serving us. Does that make sense? And so we said there's a guardrail we need to put in place. Three words, give, save, live. Give, save, live. And we suggested to go 10, 10, 80. Give 10, save 10, live on the other 80%. 
Because when we do this, we said, remember, it's not about the dollar bills. It's about our heart and our perspective of how we view money and we allow money to have power over us. When we give first, it says, you know what? This is not for me. This is for others. God has gifted this to me so that I can use it for him, right? It shifts our whole perspective about everything. And so if you want to catch up on any of that, it's all on the podcast and you can check it up. But per usual, during this series over the last several weeks, I've learned a ton. I get up here and I do these talks and I do all this research throughout the week and all this stuff in preparation, but I'm learning as much as I'm talking, you know? I'm not like on my high horse saying, you guys need to get on my level, right? That's, that's not the case. I'm learning a ton. I've learned a lot of great reminders, um, you know, enacting some personal guardrails in my life, maybe redefining some of my guardrails after not thinking along these lines for, for a very long time. And so I hope that's the same for you. I hope that you've walked away from this going, man, yeah. I maybe need to kind of check where my friendships are at. Man, yeah, I maybe need to check if I'm fleeing or flirting or if I'm just kind of somewhere in in between and I need to kind of figure out those areas of my life. Or maybe you've approached your money and thought, whoa, wait a second, okay, I need to shift my perspective towards this. I need to shift the way that this runs me rather than me running it and all of that. So I hope that you guys have done that this morning. But I don't want to close this series out without stating the obvious that that there's a big group of people that I believe that this is sort of new information to, this whole guardrails and boundaries thing. Maybe it's not new information, but maybe it's something that we've ignored for a long time. Maybe it's something that we haven't really put into place. You know, Maybe you've lived your life a long time without any sort of personal standards of behavior that light up your conscience in place. You know, Maybe you've hung out with the wrong crew for a very, very long time, and these, uh, these influences have spoken into your life and deviated you here, there, and every where maybe you've messed up sexually in your life, you know? Maybe you've spent a long time flirting rather than fleeing. And maybe it's flirting that everyone knows about and you've been exposed, or maybe it's flirting and nobody knows about but you know. And so maybe you've spent a long time doing that. Maybe you've been reckless with your finances your entire life. Nobody ever took time to teach you. Nobody ever took time to show you. You've never had that example laid out for you. Maybe you just didn't even know. You thought all the money you made was for you to spend on yourself and glorify yourself, right? Maybe you've been that. Maybe you've served money for a long time. And so for that group of people, I don't want to end this series with us thinking, man, we're a failure. Man, we've screwed up. Too bad so sad, right? Welcome to a life of misery. You've lived without guardrails for 20 years, you know? I don't want us to walk away from this thing with that mentality. So what I want to do is today, I want to kind of land the plane and wrap this thing up by looking at a story from the Old Testament, uh, from a story that's found in the book of 2 Samuel. And I believe that this story illustrates the heart of God even when we mess up, even when we failed, Even when we find ourselves in the ditches, we find ourselves rolling off the side of the road, we find ourselves plowing through the guardrails and in this danger territory and all these terrible things are happening around us, even at our worst, I want to look at a story that I believe illustrates the heart of God for us. And I think that last song talks about it so much that he loves us and he cares for us and he has grace for us and he wants love and redemption for you and for your story. And so let's pray together, and then we'll check out this story of David and Bathsheba and how that kind of all plays out. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the time of worship that we got to share together, just to sing songs of praise and adoration of who you are. God, I pray this morning as we open your word, I pray that you would allow it to speak truth to us. 
I pray that you would begin right now to soften our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you'd make us receptive to your truth. God, I pray you'd remove me from the equation, but use me as an effective mouthpiece for what you have for us today. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have it on your phone or your tablet or whatever, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, But it's found in the book of 2 Samuel, and we're going to be starting in chapter 11. We're going to spend some time in chapter 11 and chapter 12 today. But in 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, in the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, this is important to our story. This is important to our series and the flow of our series. It says that at the time, what does it say? At the time when kings go off to war. Did you know that back in these days, there was like an open season for war? It was just like open hunting season for deer. Right? If you've noticed, like the second Sunday of the month, like half of our dudes are gone. It's because they're out trying to uh, hunt and kill helpless, poor little Bambies. Right? But did you know that back then, there was like an open season for war? There was a time that was like a peacetime where it's like, bro, like, that's not cool. You can't attack right now. We're in the peacetime. But then there's this other time where it's like, yeah, let's do this. Right? And they go to war. So at the time of war, the, 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 the armies that would go out... <laughs> I just thought of a joke I told pre-service. Why do these things jump in my head? We asked jokes at our production meeting, and nobody had a joke. And so I said, where does the general keep his armies? In his sleeveys. Come on. No? <laughs> Nothing. Keith, you didn't, have you heard that before? Not, I get a thumbs down from Keith. That's bad. Oh, man. Keith, throw me under the bus. So at the time when the, when the armies would go out to battle, it was customary that the king would lead the way. Right? It was customary that the king would go with his men. That was the honorable thing to do. That was his duty. That was his job as the leader, by example, to go into war and to be the king there. The king always goes with their army and their troops. Always, 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 always. But at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find that David didn't. David didn't go with his troops. He sent this dude named Joab instead. And it said, but David remained in Jerusalem. You see, David at the very onset of the story, wasn't where he was supposed to be. What do guardrails do? They keep us from being where we're not supposed to be. There are these matters, you know, these personal standards of behavior that keep us in line, that keep us in check, that say we don't need to go over there because bad things happen when we're over there. We don't need to explore that because bad things happen when people explore that. So David is not where he's supposed to be. Kings are supposed to be away with all the men at war in this time period. This is what should be happening. And David begins the story by not being where he's supposed to be. He's in the danger zone, off the path, at the wrong place, at the wrong time. And so we pick up in chapter chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. It says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked out on the roof of the palace. Now, the palace was the highest point in the city right? It was the highest like real estate and elevation wise in the whole city. So he could come out on the rooftop of the palace and see very far and see all the different people where they lived in their houses and all of these things, okay? So he gets out of his bed. He walks out on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home, the woman conceived, 
and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now listen, I've heard this passage. This is just a side caveat here. I've heard this passage talked about many, many times from a misogynistic point of view, and that is not the case, okay? Bathsheba was not soliciting whatsoever in this story. It was completely and totally normal for people to bathe on their rooftops because back then they didn't have like backyards and pergolas and, and, and you know, all these different things. In the cool of the evening, everyone would go to their rooftop to hang out, to, to sit and relax and to bathe even and to do whatever. It was completely and totally normal for her to be on the roof bathing. The creeper in the story is not Bathsheba. It's David, okay? He's like creeping on her while she's just doing her thing at her own place. Because remember, he was at the most elevated place. He could see everything, see all of this stuff. And so David comes at her like this. And so David, again, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And as a result, he did the wrong thing. Does that make sense? And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 6 through 13, it goes into this whole uh, section of scripture where David begins to work on his cover-up plan. He's like, okay, I've screwed up, right? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, did the wrong thing. Bathsheba sends back and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Now what? Right? Because her, him summonsing her and saying, hey, you got to come see the king, she can't deny that. That's not something she can be like, no, I'm good. Tell him to go find somebody else. Right? That could be punishable by death. When the king summons you, you come. That's it. No question. When the king says, I'm going to lay with you, that's what happens. So this whole situation is tantamount to rape for Bathsheba, okay, historically speaking. And so she comes back to him and says, I'm pregnant, now what? So then David goes into this panic mode in verses 6 through 13 and kind of lays it out there. He's like, oh, man. So he summons Uriah. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. He's out fighting, doing the noble thing, doing what he's supposed to do, being where he's supposed to be. He summons Uriah and says, Uriah, come on. He says, listen, you've been so great at battle, you know, you're doing such a great job. I want you to go home and just spend the night with your wife. You know, you get like a little bonus, you know, you're, you're doing great. And Uriah's like, dude, that's totally not what I'm supposed to be doing. There's no way I would do that to my comrades that are out there fighting. I'm not going to go home and spend the night with my wife while they're all sleeping out on the battlefield. Not going to happen. So Uriah sleeps at the city gates that night. And so David sees that. David knows that. David's trying to cover up. He's like, if Uriah goes home and sleeps with his wife, they'll think it's Uriah's kid and I walk away scot-free. Sweet, right? But that doesn't happen. Uriah sleeps at the city gates. And so David finds that out. And he's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And so he calls Uriah back to the palace and tries to get him drunk. He tries to use alcohol to try to maneuver and manipulate and make this thing happen. So he gets, he gets uh, Uriah a little tipsy and things are happening, whatever. He's like, now go home and sleep with your wife, man. Come on. It's a party. Go do it. Yeah, woo. And Uriah's like, nah, man. That's dishonorable. That's not what I'm going to do. And so Uriah, again, sleeps at the, at the city gates. And, and you know that by this time, you know David's feeling like even worse. you got to know he's feeling like a total scumbag by this because he did the wrong thing. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. And you got this Uriah guy who he's trying to set up and give him a bonus, and he will not do the wrong thing, you know? And so David's got to be feeling like a total scumbag at this point. But Uriah holds firm to his loyalty to uh, his, his fellow soldiers and all this. And so now David goes into like total panic mode, total cover-up mode. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 through 27, David takes extreme measures. David says, okay, I'm going to solve this thing. I'm going to get this thing figured out. He writes a letter to the general of the army, right? Who keeps them in his sleeves? And he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> I want you to put Uriah at the very front lines of this thing, okay? I want you to put him way out front in battle, and then I want you to kind of relieve some of your support so that he can get kind of, you know, up the creek without a paddle, so to say, all right? And so this happens, and ultimately Uriah dies in battle. And so 
I mean, this is not what we're talking about this morning, but think about this from the perspective of Bathsheba. She's just on her roof doing her thing, and next thing you know, she's pregnant with a baby that's tantamount to a rape situation, and then her husband dies in battle while she's pregnant. I mean, this is a pretty serious situation for her. And so she goes into mourning. And after mourning, the scriptures tell us that David takes Bathsheba as his wife, which again, I don't think she had much uh, say in that. But they, she takes him, takes her as his wife, and they have the, the, the child together. And uh, God is extremely displeased with David. See, David is like the king at this point, right? David is like God's chosen man to kind of run the, the people. And, and God is extremely displeased. And so with every king, there was a prophet. And the prophet for David was Nathan. Nathan was like the voice of God, the, the voice of reason for David. When, when God wanted to speak to David and David was too hard-headed to listen, God used Nathan, right? And so in verses uh, 1 through 23 in chapter 12, it kind of goes through this conversation with Nathan and David. And it's sort of the repercussions of his actions. Nathan rebuked David. He says, dude, God is like pissed at what you did. Like that was super messed up. You know it was messed up. You know what, what, what happened here. God is not okay with that. And so he said, listen, here's the, here's the deal. As a result, the son that you and Bathsheba are going to have is going to die. It's not going to make it. And so sure enough, seven days after birth, the baby died. And so I feel like this is sort of a, a, a uh, sort of example for us, sort of something that we can walk away from this story and take and say, wait a second, okay, there are repercussions for our actions, right? Not necessarily that your situation is the same as David's, and not necessarily saying that everything is cause and effect, but when we consistently find ourselves in ditches, we consistently find ourselves in, off the side of the road, crashing, 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 there are repercussions to this, Right? There are repercussions to these things. If you drive into a ditch, you will crash. If you cross from the line of safe into the unsafe, bad things happen. If you have poor friendships influencing you, like we talked about in week two, you will find yourself in poor situations. If you flirt rather than flee with sexual immorality, you will pay the price. There are repercussions for these things. If you serve money rather than God, you will find yourself in ruins. This happens every time. There's repercussions to our actions. But here's what's so awesome about this story and what I love about this story is that it's not the end of the story for David. It's not, hey man, you totally took advantage of this girl and things went terrible and life fell apart and then the baby died. The end. Right? That's not the end of the story. And here's what's so cool. If you're taking these principles and applying them to your own story, it's not the end of the story for you either. You see, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went with her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Solomon was the redemption of this story. Solomon was the redemption of Bathsheba, because if you follow in Scripture later, Solomon becomes the king, and you know who he appoints as second in command of all the kingdom? Bathsheba. She becomes in charge of everybody. She's counselor to the king. I mean, that's a huge deal. So Solomon is this sort of redemption at the end of the story. The Lord gave David and Bathsheba another son, Solomon. Solomon goes on to be known as one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the planet, right? You read Proverbs and the wisdom literature. A lot of that is attributed to King Solomon, 
to being one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth. But this simple verse in scripture, I believe, reveals a lot to us about the heart of God. I feel like it, it, it reveals a lot about the heart of God to us, that even though David and Bathsheba met under horrible circumstances, and they were both outside of the guardrails, and they were both, you know, it, it just went, it went haywire. And there was, there was sin, and there were boundaries violated, and there were lack of guardrails, and all this stuff. I feel like this verse tells us that God's grace is bigger than even the biggest sin. That God's grace is bigger than even the biggest mistake. That God's grace is bigger than the biggest junk that we can have in our lives. Because many of us, our story's not as crazy as David, but many of us, we have a story. And we got some things that happened. If we're being honest. You know, we got some junk that maybe we carry around with us. And I feel like God redeeming David and Bathsheba and Solomon in this story is saying, hey guys, listen, I want to redeem you too. I want to write your story the same way. And so if you're in here this morning and you've experienced maybe the elements of, in, of this story in your life, you know, maybe it ne necessarily wasn't as crazy and dramatic as the David and Bathsheba account, but maybe it was, you know, maybe it was, but it was a crash of some sort. And then maybe you fumbled through some things, the denial, the panic mode, the cover-up, all this stuff. And now you're in sort of the come clean, let's fix this era of your story. I want you to know that God is a God of healing. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of grace. And that you need to get back on the road. You need to keep moving. That God wants to continue to write your story through love and redemption, and grace, and forgiveness, and acceptance. Maybe you're in here this morning, going back to week two, and you're sort of surrounded by the wrong influences. You've allowed the wrong people to get a foothold in your life. You've got the wrong friends telling you what is and what ain't. You've got the wrong friends leading, guiding, and directing you. And your friends are just ping-ponging you from ditch to ditch to ditch. The only time that you pass the straight and narrow is on your way to the next ditch, and the next crisis, and the next pitfall. And you've allowed your friends to influence you in that way. You need to know that God wants to bring healing and restoration to that area of your life. That God has a Solomon for you. God has a, a redemption story for you. That God wants to redeem your friendship relationships. That God has a group of friends that are ready and willing to point you towards life. That God wants to bring that to fruition for you. Maybe you're in here this morning kind of looking back on week three of our series. And you have. You've messed up sexually. You know? And you found yourself in this situation and, and you know, some, some maybe it wasn't necessarily, uh, maybe it was flirting where you should have fled. And like I said, maybe it's something that you've dealt with and you've talked about and it's been reconciled, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something that only you know. But it's affecting your it's, it's affecting your family, your spouse, your kids. Maybe you've flirted or you should have fled. You've done things that are maybe now in, hi in, in hindsight, you're saying, yeah, that, that, that was no good. Those things, those were no good. And the, the reality is some of them have heavier repercussions than others. 
Some of them, some of us, we got some stuff that happened in our past, and it's very evident in our life and, you know, whatever. But for others of us, it's, it's very quiet, and nobody knows. But what I want you to know this morning is that you can start fresh today. I want you to know this morning that you can start fresh today. You need to know that God is a God of healing, and that God is a God of restoration, and he wants to bring healing and restoration to that area of your life to that part of your life. He wants to bring wholeness there, that God has a plan for you, that God has a design for a new kind of relationship for you, and that God has a new path, and that God has not left you, that he's there with you. He wants to bring healing and restoration through that. Going back to week four, which was last week, where we talked about money. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you've royally screwed up with money. You feel like you're hanging on by just a fingernail. You're barely, barely there. Rather than money serving you, you find yourself serving it. And money's been calling the shots. And rather than God calling the shots. And and money makes the decisions rather than you seeking God to make the decisions. And maybe you find yourself head over heels in debt. Maybe you find yourself continually overspending. Maybe you find yourself never being generous and giving because everything's gone. And when you go to do it, there's nothing left there. Maybe you've gotten yourself all twisted up with this money stuff. But here's what you need to know this morning is that this and every area of your life can be restored. That you can start fresh today doing the right thing. You can start fresh today taking the right path, making the wise and right decisions. You can start today with a fresh perspective. You can start today brand new. But like I said, there are repercussions. You can't call your creditors and say, well, I decided at church today I'm starting new with my finances. Thank you very much. Not paying. Not the way it works. Okay? There are repercussions, but you can start today making the right decisions. You can start today making the right choices. You can start today by putting money in its rightful place, which is it serves you rather than you serving it. Or maybe you're in here this morning, you're listening to this stuff, and you're like, man, I'm not even on this like path thing that you're talking about. Maybe you've never even accepted Christ as your Savior. And in doing this, you know, when, when, when we... When we accept Christ as our Savior, essentially what we're saying is, listen, we're surrendering our lives to Him. We're surrendering our friendships to Him. We're, rese- we're surrendering our finances to Him. We're surrendering our sexuality and our baggage and all of that to Him. We're surrendering our family to Him. We're surrendering everything to Him. And so maybe you're in here this morning and you've never even done that. Maybe you've never been given the opportunity or maybe you've been given the opportunity and you're like, no, I'm good. Or maybe you've just never been given the opportunity in a way that you can understand it. But it's very simple. We're broken. We're flawed. We're screwed up humanity, and God is holy and perfect and righteous. And so there's a big chasm there between us and righteousness. And so God sent Jesus to sort of bridge that gap. And so all you got to do to be in right relationship with him is say, man, I accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Jesus came so that all that junk that we found ourselves in, all the ditches that we drove in, all the crashes that we had, that can be covered by God's grace. And it's a simple conversation that says, Jesus, I accept the sacrifice you made for me. I want to be in relationship with you, man. I want you to call the shots. I want you to start running the show around here. It's a very simple conversation. It's a process that takes a lifetime to work out. I'm still working it out. And many of you in the room are too, but it's a very simple thing. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that in a few minutes as well. But if you're in here this morning and you're experiencing any sort of regret or guilt uncertainty, or you're allowing the baggage of of the lack of guardrails to trip you up, 
I want you to walk out of here this morning being encouraged, knowing that God is a God of restoration. I want you to be encouraged that God is a God of second chances. I want you to be encouraged that God knows you and God cares about you. He knows the junk that you've been through or that you're currently going through. He knows and he cares and he's a God of restoration. So I want to challenge you this morning to make a change in your life. You know where it is that you need to do it. You know, as we're talking, it's, you know, you're getting daggers here, there, getting some kidney punches left and right, some things are going on. You know what God's doing inside of you. I want to challenge you to make the change. I want to challenge you to make a change. I want to challenge you to get back on the road if you've stalled out. If you've hit a ditch and you're just kind of laying there like, oh man, what am I going to do? I'm so wounded. I'm so broken. I'm so torn up. Remember, God is a God of restoration. God is a God of healing. God wants you to continue to move forward. And so if you're stuck, I want to challenge and encourage you to get up and to keep moving. If you're at the very onset of this thing, like I just talked about, and you've never accepted Jesus and you're not on this journey yet, I want to encourage and challenge you to start moving. Start a fresh life today with him calling the shots and our friends and our money and our finances and our fleeing and not flirting and our consumption and all of these things. Allow God to call the shots for you. See, guardrails are to keep us safe. Guardrails are to keep us safe, to keep us from destruction and devastation. But here's the deal. God is a God of restoration and second chances when we do screw up. Just because we establish these guardrails doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Just because we establish these guardrails doesn't mean it's rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns. That's not the way it works when you're following Jesus. So don't get it twisted and think that it does. But know that when we do fall, that God is there. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And so as the band leads us in the next couple songs, I want to give you guys an opportunity to do some business with God. Whatever it is in your heart that God's talking to you about and and compelling you to make a change, I want to encourage you to do business with God before you leave this space. This is an intentional time where we get to do business with God individually. And so if you're in here and you've never even started a relationship with God, it's very simple. You say, God, let's do this. There's no hocus pocus words. He knows what's going on in your heart. Let's do this. I'm ready. Let's go. And if that's you, let us know. Throw it on a connect card. Let us know so we can help you. We can come alongside of you. We can do this together. Nobody's expected to do this by themselves. That's why we have church, is to follow Jesus together, to be in community together, to help one another, to celebrate with one another. And so if you're starting that journey this morning, let us know. Because we want to partner with you, man. We want to make it as, as easy as possible for you. We want to be your, we want to be your cheerleaders. You know, we want to be your teammates. But all of us this morning should spend the next couple minutes just doing business with God together. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.